Today, in our study of 1 John, we are in chapter 3. We're going to cover the whole chapter today. And so there's a lot in there, but you'll see, I think, very clearly once I read it, um, where our focus will be. But remember, we have this series called Walking in the Light. And we walk in the light of Christ. That's what the Apostle John is calling us to do. So we are in chapter 3 of our journey through 1 John. And you remember, this is written by the Apostle John. He's the same guy who um, wrote Revelation, the same one who wrote Second John, Third John. He also wrote the Gospel of John. So this is the same John, and he is called the Beloved. He is like the, the best friend of Jesus, it seems. He calls himself the one whom Jesus loved. And so we are looking at what he has to tell us, because he has a lot to say in the New Testament, right? It's quite a lot of writing by the Apostle John, and especially from someone who is so intimately connected to our Lord Jesus, when he speaks, we listen, right? And we see what he has to say. And so our, um, uh, our theme for this series is walking in the light, and what that really means is it looks like fellowship. If you remember when we're seeing what, what John is telling us in this book, that he is writing to believers. He's writing to Christians who have already put their faith and trust in Jesus alone for salvation. So then what he's talking about is fellowship. He's saying believers, brothers and sisters, the family of God, are you enjoying your intimate relationship with your heavenly Father? That's the overarching question that he is asking us in this book. So we keep that in mind as we keep journeying through it together. But he is basically addressing a group of Christians of strong, mature believers, it seems, who have some heretical teachers and false prophets that are beginning to infiltrate the church. It didn't take long, right? One generation of the very first Christians, and here it comes. And so he is writing to them saying, remember You are children of God now, no longer children of the world, and you have the knowledge, you have the word we talked about last week, and he said, now walk in the light, no longer in the shadows that the world has to offer, but walk in the light because Christ is the light. So that's sort of the idea and the theme. But today we're going to see how John really kind of focuses in on the idea that we are the family of God. Because you're going to notice two words that he uses a lot. And in a couple of minutes, I'll read the passage, all of chapter 3. He uses these two words. And, I, and when you hear it read, I want you to kind of focus on them. He uses the word love, and he uses the word children. And he's saying, you are now children of God. Love each other the way that God loves you. Right. So, you know, um, I don't know if you... Realize this, but yesterday was um, February 29th. Did you notice that? How often does that happen? Three, four years, right? It's a leap year. So in this country, there's about 10 or 11,000 babies born every day. So there are about that many people uh, born on the 29th, right, every four years that have their birthday just every four years. That's kind of like, it's one thing to have your birthday on Christmas where maybe you don't get as many presents, Right? Some of you might be Christmas babies, but how about if your birthday only comes every four years? That's a, I guess the one good thing is that you only, you know, you're aging a lot slower, right? Is that good? So that's always good. But yeah, every four years, and it's quite interesting. But you imagine that, like about 10,000 babies born every day in the 
century. And so yesterday, 10,000 new leap year babies, right? Quite interesting. But, you know, we like to group ourselves. You know, we, we like to identify ourselves with like-minded people, people with similar interests or looks or desires or habits or hobbies. And, you know, we're really good at that as human beings because it helps us to relate to one another. For good and bad, we group people, don't we? We kind of group people in our minds, but people also do that themselves. I just kind of did that. I said, there are leap year babies, right? There are organizations out there that are dedicated to that. Like all people that are born in a leap year and day, like they something in common. And so, yeah, we group ourselves. We group ourselves in many ways uh, in, in, uh, in this country, in this world, don't we? By our gender, by ethnicity, race, by political affiliation, our hobby, any kind of special interest. You know, you, you go on uh, the internet and you can see there's a million different things that people do. I think social media has helped to even heighten that awareness, right? You can go on the internet and find people that that just love the things that you do, you know, people that use combs instead of hairbrushes and any kind of crazy, wacky things. There's groups out there because people gravitate towards others that share uh, a particular interest, don't they? And I mean, we all do that, right? People that years ago that immigrated to this country, they would kind of go to certain areas they knew where there was a heavy population of people from their country, right? Earlier in the, the, the beginning of our country, you know, there was people from Italy and, and Ireland, and, and they would kind of come to different cities where there were pockets of them because they knew that they could share some culture and language and the food and, and all of that. Does that make sense? And so, you know, I think even social media has made that even easier for people to share those interests. But we identify ourselves in groups. We put ourselves in groups, whether it's by clothing style uh, the music we like, the food we eat or don't eat. Maybe you're a vegan, you're not a vegan. Maybe you're a, you know, um, uh, you know, you only eat certain kinds of foods, and so you can gravitate towards people that do that. We have favorite sports teams, don't we? And sometimes we have some people in here that like to wear their favorite jersey, and you do that why to identify yourself, don't you? I, I don't think you're fooling anybody. We know you don't actually play for that team. <laughs> But we get it because we all have maybe it's sports or whatever it is and you identify with them. So maybe you wear a shirt with a a particular name or a number and the logo because it helps to identify. So when you're out in the public, say, yeah, he's one of mine. He's one of my guys, right? We do that with all kinds of things. Uh, We wear uniforms. Sometimes for work you have to wear a uniform. So you're identified as a certain person in a hospital, right? Maybe the doctors wear a certain thing and other technicians wear this. Nurses wear that, and it helps us to identify. We kind of need that. You remember like in high school how we identified ourselves, and some of you are like, I don't want to remember high school, <laughs> right? And some of us are like, I can't remember high school. That's a different issue. But how, how did you group yourselves in high school? And maybe you say, I didn't want that group. They kind of sat me over there. But you remember those days you walked into the lunchroom, and it was just like fear came over you? Like, where am I going to sit? You have all the athletes here and the, the weird theater people over here and all the science kids over here. And, and we did that, didn't we? It was kind of like natural. Like the teachers didn't say, now go sit by the people that you look like, right? We just kind of did that, and we grouped ourselves together. And it meant so much, whether it was by grade or it was by, you know, what you were into or how cool you were and how cool you weren't and all that kind of stuff. And but we do that in churches too, don't we? 
And some of it is okay and it's good and it's natural and it's, it's got its value and sometimes it's not. You know, I mean, we've all heard of mega churches, right? Churches where there's thousands of people. Have you ever heard of a new trend called micro churches? Well, it goes to figure if there's going to be mega churches, there's micro churches. Micro churches are, are niche churches. They are churches that are designed to sort of cater to or attract people with certain interests. Did you know that there's churches that are called cowboy churches? I don't think we have any in New Jersey. Maybe South Jersey. Maybe South Jersey. There's cowboy churches. Look it up. And so it's kind of geared towards that. The music, the clothes they wear, the style, everything, right? The pastor wears a big, you know, 10-gallon hat and all that. And, you know, there's... um. There's biker churches where guys that love to ride motorcycles and men and women love to ride motorcycles and they go and they set up churches for that. There's also a newer church, um, there's a bunch of them around called Warrior Churches and they are specifically geared towards veterans of the military. They get together. And so I'm thinking about that. Is this good or bad? Does this mean anything? But yet, what does it show? It shows that we like to get together with people that have a common interest, we, have a, we like to share a common bond. And I think a big part of it is because we, it helps us to understand who we are. And we like to know our identity, don't we? And we identify ourselves in so many ways. I mean, there's all these different little micro churches. But, you know, even unfortunately throughout church history, churches have split because of very narrow interests, you know. And churches have split for good things, maybe theological issues, and you need to separate. But most of the time, churches have split. You know, you have Protestant denominations, hundreds and hundreds of denominations. And again, some for very good, valid reasons, but many, it was just because, well, we think the juice should be wine and it should be grape juice, or we think that we should use crackers instead of the, you know, you never know. And there was one church, actually, I did hear about it, was down south, and, um, They split over fried chicken. Now, you would think I'm making this up. I'm not. And so they had, there was a church that had a big sort of gathering in the summer. And, you know, it was one of those big um, sort of luncheons like we're going to have later, right? And um, I don't know if anybody brought fried chicken, but it's okay. It's all good. And so there was a group of people, and there was one particular person that they thought made the best fried chicken. And they were kind of down at this end of the table. And there was another group of the church, the other sort of half of the church, and they had this one particular lady that made awesome fried chicken, and they just loved it. And so what happened was the pastor came along, and he was clueless to what was going on, and which is there no comment there. And so he shows up, and he just happens to go to one, one end of the table and picks up the chicken and comments how great it is, the best chicken I ever had. Well, the other people on the other end, they took their fried chicken, and they left and started their own church. Because they thought they had the best fried chicken. So, I mean, yeah, so I guess you could go to a fried chicken church, right? But how silly it is. But yet we do that, don't we? I mean, we tend to want to just, like, focus in and identify ourselves. Well, what happens is this, church. The Apostle John is telling us something really important today. Before I read our passage, I want to go back to something else he said in his gospel. Because remember, we're going through First John. We're going through 1 John, but here is something from the Gospel of John in chapter 13. Listen to his words. This is what he says on the night before he was betrayed. Remember, he's spending the last few minutes um, with his disciples and trying to tell them what's about to happen next. And he says, little children, 
There he is. He calls them little children. Yet a little while, I'm with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot follow. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By, here it is, church. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Did you ever put that together, that part, some of the last words Jesus had for his disciples, he was saying, do you know how they're going to know when I leave you? See, right now, they, they knew, everybody in the world knew they were followers of Jesus. Why? Because they were following him. Because he was there and they would walk with him and hang out with him. But he said, I'm about to leave. And where I'm going, you can't go. But here's how the world's going to identify you. Do you love one another? It's by your love, the love from the Father, do you show it to one another. See what he's trying to do? Jesus is trying to bring unity to the disciples and says, this is crucial, disciples. This is crucial because you're about to be the beginnings of this new thing I'm going to build called the church. And it has to be based on love. And so these words of Jesus are so profound because at that moment, Jesus was giving them their brand new identifying mark that they would gather around the cross signifying sacrificial love as a new group, a new people who would be known by one singular trait that they will all share in common love for one another. Now, we look around this room, and the disciples could have looked around, and you see we all look different. We come from different, uh, you know, different um, socioeconomic backgrounds and different ethnicities, and it's beautiful. Diversity is something that we will truly enjoy when we get to heaven, right? And we, we love to see that. But yet, even through the diversity, we have one common main theme of today, and what John is trying to tell us in chapter 3 is you are going to be known by your love for one another. See, that's our identifying trait. I mean, we could all, we could all leave here after lunch and get tattoos. We could all You know, we could all say, we're going to come back next week and wear all the same clothes. And we could try to do things to identify ourselves and say, yeah, we're together. We're a church family. Anybody that keeps joining us as we grow, this is what you're going to do. But, and look like us and what he's saying, he's saying love is what joins you together. Love for one another. See, Jesus knew that there would be problems in the early church. There would be false prophets. There would be those who would be trying to do their own thing. And, and what happens? And he says, just make sure through it all, even in your diversity, which is so beautiful, love one another. Because that is your common bond. That is your new identifying mark. Never in history had there ever been a group of people that would be, their common bond would be love for one another. Now we might like each other. There might be affinity groups that we can all join, right? But he says, no, this is a love that comes from the Father. And this is a love that we are to share with each other. So love is supposed to set them apart. In the world, love will identify the disciples with Jesus. So we are followers of Jesus. It's how we pursue discipleship. So if we choose to be disciples as believers, yes, I'm going to follow him, then we are saying that is our identifying mark. 
And I want to wear that proudly in him that we love one another. See, Jesus was creating a new family. Didn't Jesus say, I will build my church? Jesus will build his church. It will be all based around the love that he has shown us, the sacrificial love on the cross. We will remember specifically before we leave today. He was creating a brand new family, one that would be identified by love. You know, in in the scriptures, especially in the New Testament, we are called as the church, identified by love, a family. We have a heavenly father. We are called by the Apostle John, children, children of God, sons and daughters of God. And we call each other brothers and sisters. You see that? It's not an accident. Jesus started that ball rolling. And God says, this is how you identify yourselves. Because we all know what it's like to be a part of an earthly family, right? And we also know that every family is dysfunctional. And you know what? Some of us, thank you, brother, for the amen there. (laughs) Wait till I get my next point. Then you're going to give me amen. And every church is dysfunctional. All right, there's the amen, right? But yet we are supposed to be bound in love, you know? And I, know, I realize this too, in all seriousness, that there are many people, whether you're in this room or not, that have a hard time identifying with God as a heavenly father or with brothers and sisters because you didn't have such a good relationship with your earthly parents or with your earthly siblings. And I get that. But how awesome is it, church, that we have been set free from that and that we can see the perfect example. This is not perfect. We're heading there. We're heading there in a moment. I'm going to read to you why, why, why we're heading there. That's our hope. But see, God calls us the family of God because we have a heavenly father who's perfect. No matter what your relationship was like with your earthly father, you have a heavenly father who will never let you down, who will never betray you, who will always have um, your best interest at his heart, who makes promises and keeps his promises. You see, our earthly families are to be a reflection of, of our heavenly family, because we are bound, maybe not by flesh and blood, but by spiritual love. He says, you are to be known by the way you love each other. So I'm going to read this now. Uh, This is 1 John 3. It's the whole chapter. But as I read it, you'll read it uh, along in your Bibles. It's going to be up on the screen for you. Would you think about that? Keep that in context as you hear, hear me read it. Think about that, this focus on those words, children, that we are children of God, no longer of the world, but of God. And our identifying mark, our common bond is love. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But what we know that when but what we know is that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. 
No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. And no one who keeps on sinning has neither seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer shall, uh, has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he commanded. Whoever keeps his commands abides in God, and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. So there's a lot in there. And of course, I won't go through it verse by verse, but I want to give us the overall take on it, but keeping it in context of the whole book of 1 John and what, he, what he's trying to get across to us. Remember that he is talking to believers, those who are secure in their new position before God by saving faith in Christ alone. And remember I've said too that you're going to see every week that we read this together that John is a writer in contrasts. He loves to contrast light and dark and death and life and in love and hatred and sin and obedience, to see that? He's kind of saying, look, this is the way it's going to be. It's going to be you're either in God or you're not in God. It's going to be are you abiding in him or you're not. But remember, what he's talking about is fellowship. Not like are you saved or not. Oh, man, I keep sinning. Maybe, maybe I'm not really saved. I truly do not believe it's what he's talking about. He's saying, look, we're all believers here. And I think these, these were mature believers. But he's saying, Don't doubt the faith that you have. Don't doubt your relationship with God. Enjoy the fellowship because if you're going to keep sinning and disobeying, you're going to break your fellowship with God and with each other. 
there are consequences to sin. And the consequences for the sin of a believer is broken fellowship. Broken fellowship with our Heavenly Father. Broken fellowship with one another. So he's saying here, he's saying, if you're abiding in him, remember we we defined that last week. What does it mean to abide? It means to dwell, to draw closer. He says, if you're abiding in him, you're remaining in him, you're being obedient and loving children to your heavenly father, then life is going to be good. Your relationship will be good. No matter what's going on around you or in your life, no matter what your circumstances, your relationship, your spiritual relationship with God and your relationship with each other will be good. See, that's what he's trying to tell us. He's saying this is about your fellowship. Are you truly enjoying the freedom that Christ died for you? Are are you enjoying that freedom to be the child of freedom, the child of God, the children of God that you're called to be? I want to reread the first three verses of what I just read. We're going to kind of park there, but... Look at the first three verses. He sets up the whole rest of it and actually into chapter 4. He says, see what kind of love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Remember, he's reassuring them, this is who you are. Nobody's going to change that identity, but he's really living up to that identity. He says, the reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Remember, we're identifying with Christ as Christians, right? So if the world rejected Christ, what should we expect from the world? Rejection, right? It says in verse 2, it says, I'm going to read that again, verse 2. He says, Beloved, we are God's children now, right? I'm going to read that differently. He says, we are God's children now. How about that? We are God's children now, meaning no longer the world. In what we will be has not yet appeared. He's talking about Christ. When Christ returns, we will be made perfect and glorified. Our salvation being made fully complete in glorification. He says that will happen. When Jesus appears, he hasn't come back yet, so that's not happened. But we know that when he does appear, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is face to face. Are you looking forward to that day? Amen. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. I think in some ways, verse 3 of chapter 3 kind of summarizes John's whole letter. He's saying, are you people of hope? We know that it's hard right now. It's hard. We're dysfunctional families, maybe at home and here at church. And it's like, it's not perfect. And being in fellowship with each other can be messy at times. But he says, it's all worth it because we are all hoping in the same thing. The return of our Savior, Jesus. We are awaiting his return. But until then, he says, you're people of love. Love one another so the world can see it. And they will know that you're my followers by the way you love each other. But he says, look, we're all hoping. We're all hoping for the same thing. We know that one day we'll get to see him and, and, and it'll be everything will be perfect. But he says, don't just wait for that. And just go on sinning and say, just do whatever you want. See, that's the misuse of freedom. Don't we know we always hear that with great freedom comes great what? Responsibility. So what's our responsibility as Christians? And that is to purify ourselves as he is pure, meaning to live holy lives. He says, be holy as I am holy. Will we ever get it perfect? No, but that's what we strive for. And how do we strive for that holiness? It's not in trying harder. 
It's in surrendering more. We surrender to the Holy Spirit. We surrender our will to His. Let the Holy Spirit lead and guide us. We will then sin less and become more pure. It's something we'll never attain this side of heaven. But it's something that we as people of hope are to be striving towards. That's what John is saying. He's saying, look, he's saying, you guys know the truth. He's saying it to us here this morning. We know the truth. We have been set free in Jesus Christ. For those of us that have believed in the Lord Jesus for salvation and in him alone, by faith, we receive that free gift of salvation. What do we say then? Okay, well, when's Jesus coming back? Nobody knows. He knows. The Father knows. So what do we do until then? Represent him well. Be Christians. Be out in the world. Tell people about your faith. Live holy lives. How do we do that? Let the Holy Spirit do it for you. You know why? Here's the key. We can't do it on our own. We can't try hard enough. You know, we would all agree, I think sitting here, that Scripture is very clear that we can't earn our salvation, right? We can't do enough good things to earn salvation. It's a free gift. So then why would we think that we can do enough good things to completely please him on earth, like of our own accord, that we could do of our own power. It's like we're saying, all right, God, I couldn't save myself of my own power, but you saved me, thank you, that's good. I'll do the stuff on my own. See, it doesn't work that way. We are always completely dependent on the Father. So even in our sanctification process, that's our walking in the light, what happens is we have to rely on him. That's why Jesus said, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'll give you the Holy Spirit. And our whole chapter today, he ends with that, at the very end of chapter 3. He says, by this we know that he does abide in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. See, So we know we're abiding in Christ, meaning being obedient, following him, listening, being obedient children of our Heavenly Father, being good brothers and sisters, treating each other well, right? He says, they're going to know. By that love, that will be your identifying mark. But he says, you're not going to be able to do it on your own, and you won't have to. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. So that's what it looks like, church. That's what it looks like to be abiding in him. It means allowing the Holy Spirit to lead you, to produce that fruit. You know, we talk about the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's his fruit, right? It's not our fruit. It's his fruit in us. But how do we give them the, the, um, how do we give him the opportunity? How do we give him that opportunity to express his fruit, to show his fruit through us? By surrender. We yield ourselves to him. We surrender to him. That's what it looks like to try harder as believers, to surrender more, to let him do that. So that comes from obedience. So abiding is in obedience. Loving him is in obedience. What do he say? If you love me, you will obey me. Obey me. That's what we do. So in our obedience, we are showing our love and our abiding in him. Right? And so that's why those first three verses are beautiful. Because he says, you are children no longer of the world. You're children of God now. You know, um, I think it's in Ephesians 1 and elsewhere. It says that we are inheritors, that we have an inheritance. You know, it's very common. We understand what that means in the world, right? Maybe a relative passes away and, and leaves you an inheritance and you know that your whole life, it's like that's coming to you, but someone's got to die first for you to get that inheritance. Well, Jesus says, you have an inheritance now, but I've died for it, but I'm going to come back, 
and it's going to be all be yours. But Ephesians 1, he says, you have all the spiritual blessings you need now to live the life I'm calling you to live. He's like, you've got everything. If God calls you to do something, he's going to equip you to do it. You believe that? No matter what that means, especially when it means the living the Christian life. And so he gives us the Holy Spirit. He gives us his word. And that's why here at Trinity we are founded on the word of God. And we preach through books of the Bible and we say that is our absolute truth so we know where we stand. But what about this love? With our, our last few minutes remaining before we get to the Lord's table to remember his love. Let's remember this, church. I said before, love is an action word. And so Jesus stepped out in the greatest action, the greatest actionable step to show love ever by giving up his life. Because love, listen, love is sacrificial. True love, the love we see in Scripture, it's sacrificial. And that is brotherly love, too. Remember the the story of the Good Samaritan? And what the Good Samaritan did? He sacrificed not only his time, he also gave money. Remember that? To the innkeeper, he said, you take care of him until I... I got to go. You take care of them. Sacrifice everything. Sacrifice your image. You sacrifice whatever. But we sacrifice in our love for one another because Jesus sacrificed himself for us. You know, um, he mentions in our chapter today Cain and Abel. You familiar with that story? All the way back in the Old Testament. I think it's chapter 3 or chapter 4. Think of Genesis and there's this very familiar story. Everybody knows about it. See, even most non-Christians, they don't even, I mean, they know about Cain and Abel. And so if you think about it, who was Cain? Cain was the third person ever to live and walk on this earth. You had Adam and Eve, right? They were in the garden. Everything was perfect. And then they sinned. They were disobedient. We know that. We call that the fall, right? And God removed them from the garden and said, now there is death, right? Death now comes because of sin, death in the world. So Cain is the first person born into the fall, into the imperfect, tainted, fallen, broken world. And then after Cain comes his brother, Abel. So Cain and Abel, brothers, right? Yeah, brothers squabble, brothers fight, brothers don't get along. But evidently God called them to offer worship, the very first command to worship in the Bible, given to Cain and to Abel. And so they brought their sacrifices, see? Because worship is sacrifice. Why were they to worship? To show their love and devotion to God. Because our worship is our response to God's goodness. And so God commands an offering. And so Abel brings a great offering, doesn't he? He brings an offering that is accepted by God. It's an offering. It's an offering, it says... um, it's in uh, Genesis 4, you don't have to turn to it. The, uh, Abel offered the fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. See that? It was the animals, the firstborn. It was the fat, like the most prized part. But then Cain brought his offering. It says Cain brought this. He brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering of the Lord. Now God, throughout the Old Testament, God accepted grain offerings from the ground and animal offerings. But evidently God was not pleased with Cain's heart. See, it wasn't so much in what he offered, it was the heart behind it. Because Abel said, I'm going to give God the best. And Cain said, I'm going to give him some of the 
stuff from the ground. You say, well, why? Why did God really hold that against him? So I think it says, see, in Leviticus it tells us that the proper sacrifice to God, the sacrifice that covers sins, is an animal sacrifice. Why? Because what happens when an animal dies? The blood is shed. See, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. That is why God had to become man in the person of Jesus Christ to walk this earth and die on the cross. His blood would be shed for us. See, it had to be a blood offering. Isn't that amazing that it is blood that makes all the difference? Yes, Cain brought his offering, but it was not a blood offering. It was not the sacrifice that God was looking for. You know, we, um, we do this once a month here at Trinity, and it's something that Jesus tells his church to do. And he tells us to do this as often as we get together. But why do we do it? Well, we do it for the same reason that Abel thought that it would be best to offer the sacrifice to God of the fattened animal, of the firstborn of the animals. We do it to remember what Christ did for us. See, Cain's offering was unacceptable because it was bloodless. When Jesus Christ died upon the cross... He became the substitutionary atonement for our sins. He died in our place. He rose from the grave that we might have everlasting life. And as Abel made his sacrifice by faith, we accept Jesus' death by faith and are made right before him. Romans 3 says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. Church, blood was the difference. The blood of Christ makes all the difference. For us, salvation is a free gift, but it cost Jesus everything. So in a moment, I'm going to pray over the bread and the cup, and they'll be passed to you. Please take one of each. They'll be in containers both, so at the same time, just take a cup, take a little piece of the bread, and hold on to it, because we will take those together once everybody has taken it. As you hear the music play, take the opportunity, take the opportunity to reflect on your fellowship with God. What does it look like for you in loving the Heavenly Father who first loved you. Consider your fellowship with him, but also do this. Consider your fellowship with one another. The Apostle Paul tells us to do that also. That we are to reflect on how we're doing in our walking in the light with God. But see, that includes in our walk with one another. Because the world will know us by the way that we love each other. Amen? Let me pray. Father God, we are thankful We are thankful for Jesus. We are thankful that you have commanded your church to take the bread, to take the cup, and to do it in remembrance of you. God, when you gave this command through Jesus, he was giving it to his very first followers, his disciples, and 
Lord, we identify with them. We follow the same Lord. And so we want to do what he commands us to do. So, Father, as we spend some time reflecting on a relationship with you, God, would you, through your spirit, convict us where we need convicting? Remind us of some scriptures that we know and maybe have forgotten about. But, God, draw us close to you. Our desire is to abide with you. God, we just want to abide with you a little bit better during this time together. In Jesus' name, amen.